times where the sun never shines, you'll shiver when the cold wind blows. There's a grave in the pine where the sun never shines. There's a grave that's shaded with a pine. On the Slay Queens podcast, we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. This isn't just a cheesy catchphrase. It is a note to remember that the topics we discuss can be very graphic and lurid in nature. Listener discretion has been advised. Hey folks, before we get started, I just wanted to pop on and let everybody know that this episode is edited by your podcast editor. Yes, and we love our editor and you can start your own podcast and receive two edited episodes totally free. You can find him on Instagram at your podcast edit and save time and take your podcast to the next level. Ooh, Slay Queen. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Hey, folks. Hi. Hey, Wayne. Hi, Ashley. (laughs) How's it going? I'm doing really well, really well. Just being out and proud on this fine, fine, fine month of pride. Month of pride. How about you? (laughs) Me too. I'm a little stressed. We're moving soon. Big announcements for yeah. not the podcast exactly. Just for life, for my life in general. Just for Ashley's life. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Ashley and Sierra have bought a house. We have. Final walkthroughs tonight. It does affect the the podcast because we get our own room. We're really going to have our own room where we don't have to like set up every time and yeah. put it back down. It's just going to be great. How exciting. And she told me the other day that we get to get a new desk so we have more space. Yay. <laughs> So yay, yay for all of us. Moving up in the world. We are. Moving up in the world. Hopefully the quality is even more better. More better. Yeah. More better. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does to me. So So anyways, let's get down to business. Let's get down to business. What's that thing we do? We remind everyone who we are. We are the Slay Queens podcast. And what it is that we do. And we take a deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow. And I agree with that. And we do. Yes, there we are. I think we're up to speed now. I think so. That's only a minute 19, so yeah. we're doing pretty good. I've had my coffee, so I feel pretty good. I literally drank an entire <laughs> pot of coffee this morning, so yeah, it's I'm been a lot today. I've been packing and all pretty that. Well. You know, the only way you can keep going is to just chug the coffee and the water, right? Well, yeah, hydration is hydration important. Station. Hydration is important. Yeah, so anyway. So welcome back to welcome all back. the queens, kings, and folks here to the Slay Queens podcast. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome to the queendom. Welcome. Welcome. And a thing that we do here before we take that deep dive into the dark side of the rainbow is we offer you folks a rainbow star. Rainbow because we're queer, star because we are spotlighting things, we're offering thank yous, we're making announcements or acknowledgements, and we try to give you folks recommendations on things that we like. That we like. That we like. If you care. If you care. (laughs) If you don't, if you trust us, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So, Ashley, do you have spotlight for us? I think we really decided, even though I hate that we like are still giving time to this man, but it should be noted because we did, I did say like the inappropriate amount of time the last time we talked about this. Yeah. Derek Chauvin has been sentenced, what, what, like just under 23 years? 22.5, something like that. Yeah. And like with time served too, which is kind of annoying, but you know what? At least we know that he's locked up for a long time. Some justice has been served. Some has been served. I mean, he's in protective custody, I'm pretty sure that I read. At least his wife left him. That kind of makes me happy. You know, you kind of at least get to lose those people in your life because you're a shitty human being. So at least there's that. It's a good news, bad news situation. We like the fact that he was found guilty and we like the fact that he is being punished and someone just didn't come along and say, you know what, I'm dismissing this altogether, which was a huge fear of mine. It really was for me too. I think a lot of people really just felt like it would just be kind of like, 
brushed under the rug. Yeah, but we spoke off mic about it's shitty because there are literally people who are serving life sentences for much lesser offenses. Much lesser offenses or things they didn't even do. Yeah, exactly. So good news, bad news situation. Totally. And I agree. We don't want to spend a ton of time on that, but it is something that we've discussed previously. And uh, we want to make sure- And I think I said like 30 years before, which was not right at all. I wish it was at least that much, but it's fine. Here we are. Yeah. We got some justice. Here we are. Let's move on to happier subjects. Yes. I mentioned this maybe, but I definitely want to give like an elaboration of the story. There's a gentleman by the name of Gabe or Gabriel that I worked with some years ago as an EMS worker in the state of Tennessee. He's still living in Tennessee. I am obviously living here now. And uh, he reached out to me randomly the other day and was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with your podcast. (laughs) I love that. And you know what I found to be the most entertaining aspect of that story for me was he didn't start listening to it because he knew me and then just started listening to the podcast. It was recommended to him by a podcast platform. Oh my God, Isn't that that's great? even cooler. So you yeah. didn't tell me that part. You yeah. left it out so it would be a little surprised. Yeah, huh, yeah, yeah. Know? And he was like, oh my God, I know this guy, I think. And of course reached out to yeah. me and was like, is this your podcast? I'm obsessed. And Gabe is in a relationship with a lovely gentleman by the name of John Alex. And apparently they are both fans. And that's they're amazing. both parts of thank the- Thank you. Yeah, they're both part of the queendom. So thank you to Gabe and thank you to John Alex for- just supporting us and complimenting the show. Don't you love it when that happens? I do. I do. I absolutely do. I think maybe that brings us to announcement territory. Announcements. Announcements. So we are recording this episode basically at the end of Pride Month. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And we had spoken on a couple of our previous Pride episodes about how we wanted to do like a Marsha P. Johnson type merch. We wanted it to be something original, something that was relevant to our episode. Yes about Marsha P. Johnson. And I had reached out to an artist to commission an original piece of artwork to our design. And uh, that situation didn't work out, but I have commissioned another artist and I'll give more details later when we have that actually like up and running and going. And there's an actual kind of collaboration that happens, but that is in the works. The artwork is coming. The t-shirts are coming. And they're not just going to be for Pride Month because by the time all that happens, Pride Month will be over. <laughs> it's just inspired by Pride Month. <laughs> inspired the Pride by Pride Month. If exactly. You will. Uh, Pride is but not just have, a month. Yeah, we can have Pride 24 7, 365. Long. Exactly. So stay tuned for that. That is coming. 525,600 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> so that is coming. Just stay tuned for it. We do have it in the works, but this is not our professional gig. So yes. <laughs> things maybe move a little bit slower. We have to have people help us with this yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. There's a chain of command here. <laughs> there is a chain of command and we don't have just all these resources at our disposal. That's right. And I think that officially takes us to recommendations. Ah, yes. And I can't, I, I really wanted to share this with the folks. I know, I'm pretty sure like probably season one is when I mentioned that I bought this book because your ah, partner yes, Hunter yes, 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 yes. was like, you have to see the movie, but you have to read the book first. And I still have not seen the movie. I finally sat down last night or two nights ago. It doesn't matter. I, I'm like a hundred and something pages in to Dr. Sleep, which is mm. the Shining sequel. Oh my God. It's so good. So good, right? So good. Now I like cannot wait to see the movie, but like I've got like 600 pages to go. I feel like it's going to take me a couple of days. It's not going to take long, but I'm yeah. like addicted 
My only issue with like reading a book that's super amazing and then watching the movie is that the movie's always a disappointment, right? Yeah, and I'm sitting here the whole time, honestly, like wondering the way that the book is written, it kind of jumps back and forth between like different people's perspectives and their stories and they're not all intertwined yet. But like, I just get that vibe that of course they're going to be eventually. So I wonder how you take how this is written and make it into a movie format. Like where are they going to start Like, is it going to be him as a kid? Because there are parts where he's a kid, like in the very beginning, or is it going to be, they're going to start with him as an adult. So I'm really intrigued. I can't wait to watch it. That's probably going to be the motivator to get me to read the book faster. (laughs) But yeah, what about you? I love that. I watched a really, I thought it was really good, but we've discussed you and I before, and I've mentioned on the podcast before that I actually like kind of bad scary movies yeah like it's kind of its own it's kind of its own subgenre of horror film so i recently watched this movie it's technically considered like a horror comedy or like a dark comedy Uh, i watched it on shutter it's called homewrecker okay yeah that already sounds like a dark comedy like horror movie yeah (laughs) i definitely recommend it it's a 2019 film there are a few faces that you might recognize but yeah good film i again I don't ever like to go into too much detail because I will completely spoil something. Yeah, I'm really bad at that. But it's good. I enjoyed it. It's a little bit cheesy. Some pretty good acting. And there's a twist that I should have gotten. But didn't. But didn't. You were like, I I wasn't paying close enough attention. Yeah, no, I wasn't paying close enough attention. But I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so Homewrecker on Shudder. Absolutely. I recommend it to you and the folks. And I think you all will enjoy it. I haven't watched a movie on Shudder in a long time. Yeah, it's been a minute. No, I need to. Yeah. I had kind of gotten out of the um, shutter world. Shutter world, yes. I'd gotten out. It wasn't in like my normal rotation of things that I was watching. I feel like I get into it for like a month or two, watch a lot of stuff, and then I kind of like, okay, I've seen everything basically. Yeah. All right. I think we have successfully completed our rainbow star. Successfully completed. Successfully completed. The end of the beginning or the beginning of the end. We are there. Well, that's where they're wherever that's that is. where we're at. Wherever that is, that's where we are. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break before we come back and to tell this just gut wrenching, absolutely gut wrenching. That's the the greatest way to describe this. Yeah. It is, yeah. Oh, but it was recommended. I should probably say from a oh, listener. Oh, you said it was a Patreon. Li- yeah, you said it was a listener from recommendation. Our Patreon, Ashley. Yay. She's great. Love her. She was like, if you haven't covered this one, you need to because mm-hmm. a little bit of a spoiler here. It's a show that we've covered before, mm-hmm. an episode of, but. I think the reason that it we've had it kind of lingering for a while. Yeah, but I it's think mo- the, been on the to-do list yeah, for a while. I think one of the reasons, though, is because we've covered other cases from this show and we didn't want things to be too similar. You know, that whole thing. So, And it's sad. It's really, it is really sad. Not that there aren't tragic elements to all the things that we talk about. I mean, hello, true crime. But this one just for me is, is so sad. It is really sad. It's <sighs> really... Especially with his mom. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. So, so if you want to stay tuned for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a good story, though. It I is mean, a great story. Everyone should know this story. Everyone should know this that's person's what I name. Think. Everyone should know this person's Absolutely. name. And I'm personally offended now at myself that I didn't know his name before. I'm with before. you. When I saw it the yeah. first time, I was like, how did I, how have I never heard the story? Yeah. Because they did that on purpose. Yeah. So. Exactly. We'll right. be back. Quick break. Okay. Okay. The time has come to tell the story. To tell the story. The and story we part. are back, 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 back again. And we are back. And this is terrible. <laughs> I think when I texted you about it, I was like, well, I didn't actually want to recap the like the episode episode because 
I enjoy doing the research rather yeah. than just like recapping. Um, but how was it that I described it to you? I was like, now that I've watched it and this pulled my heart out of my asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly what now, you said. Now I feel like we need to uh, to tell this story in this way. Yeah, they uh, do a really good job at how they, they tell it. They do a fantastic job. All right, so today we are talking about Allen. That's A-L-L-E-N, if anybody is, is Googling or whatnot. A-L-L-E-N, Allen R. Schindler. Uh, it's actually Allen R. Schindler Jr., but you can find him with just a basic Google search of Allen Schindler, really. The source primarily is the docuseries The Deadliest Decade, the 1990s. The episode is titled Don't Ask, Don't Tell. If you also want some information about this case that's not necessarily contained within the stuff that we're going to be speaking about today, specifically, chicagotribune.com does a really, a really good article on this case, LA Times and outmagazine.com. All right. And as I said, I didn't really want to recap the entire series because I enjoyed doing all of that. But Ashley and I th- think both agreed that uh, they did a good job. They just did such a good job. <laughs> we like the way that they did it. Yeah. I have a little write up of that in my notes to, to start, but I've already said that. So we can just jump right in. So this episode starts in 1992 with a reminder of what a turbulent year that was in the United States. The Rodney King beating had led to six days of rioting protests in Los Angeles. Hurricane Andrew, a Category 5 Atlantic hurricane, had struck the Bahamas, Florida, and Louisiana, killing a total of 65 people, and I'm sure just devastating thousands. It was also a big year in politics because Bill Clinton's presidential campaign was fighting George H.W. Bush to end a 12-year Republican control of the White House. So big deal. Big deal. Yeah. They then did a quick transition from reminding us that old George Sr. had thrown up on the prime minister of Japan <laughs> I love the during that time. That. Yeah. <laughs> like and that was like not relevant really to anything, but they just had to add it. They in had there. to add it in there because then they were like, oh, and speaking of Japan. <laughs> that's totally how I that did went. not even realize that that was their segue. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. They were like, speaking of Japan. In another part of a country, a naval ship called the Baloo Wood, otherwise nicknamed the Devil Dog, was docked at a U.S. naval port in Sasebo, Sasebo, Japan. And I apologize if I have pronounced that incorrectly. We try. (laughs) Yeah. It was common for ships to stop at this particular port to resupply and also give the sailors a break from their normal duties for a short period of time. And this is when we are first introduced to Alan R. Schindler, Jr. Alan grew up the eldest of four children, raised by their widow mother in the suburbs of Chicago. I believe it was Chicago Heights is what I read somewhere. The mother's name was Dorothy, and she described him as a talented and fun guy with a loving big heart. Uh, She tells us that Alan was an animal lover and that he was a jokester who was always doing things, quote, to drive her crazy. And she, of (laughs) course, did it with a smile and kind of a laugh. We learned that after graduating high school in 1988... Alan, wanting to serve his country, wanting to travel the world, wanting to have an adventure, and also to follow in the footsteps of both his father and his grandfather, decided that he was going to join the Navy, which I completely respect. Absolutely. I think it's really sweet. Yeah. He completed boot camp in San Diego, California, before traveling to places like Hawaii and Australia. Always being the good son, he phoned his mother about once a week to tell her about all of these beautiful places and all of these great adventures. And you could just tell that they had a really fantastic yeah, relationship. Yeah, not a lot of moms get to say that. Yeah, and she just gushed about how proud she was of him. Like, every opportunity she oh, had. Oh, she did. She, she, he was, like, everything to her. Yeah. And she's such a sweetheart, too. Yeah, she, 
This is a sad story, but... She makes it so much sadder. She makes it so much sadder, but also so much happier in a way because she's such a good mother. She's such a good mother. It does make you feel like kind of more... What's that saying? Like of uh, confidence in humanity has been restored. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I completely agree with that statement. In January of 1991, Alan was assigned as a radio man on one of the most prestigious ships in the naval fleet, the USS Midway. He's so proud of this accomplishment that he starts journaling about his experiences on the Midway with his initial entry reading, quote, I'll be so proud to say that I served on board the USS Midway. Some dreams do come true, end quote. Doesn't that just tear at your heartstrings? It does. The same month that he joined the crew of the Midway, rather, Bush Sr. declares war on Iraq and Allen goes to war to serve. The USS Midway serves as a flagship for the naval forces during Desert Storm and uh, the Persian Gulf. And for those like myself who are unfamiliar with that terminology, a flagship is a vessel used by the commanding officer of a group of naval ships. So it sounds like a pretty good gig, right? Sounds like a pretty big deal. In his journal, Alan said that this was one of the greatest experiences of his life. The atmosphere on the ship was happy and healthy with a good sense of community and brotherhood. And that's their word, not mine. Amongst all the sailors. Life was good at that time for Alan Schindler. Then, in 1991, the Gulf War ended and the Midway departed the Persian Gulf in March of that same year. And after 11 months on his beloved USS Midway, Alan is actually transferred to a different ship, the Baloo Wood. But before he goes, Alan commemorates his time on the Midway with a tattoo of its emblem on his arm because he just loved that experience. He loved that ship and he was so proud to be a part of it. So right off the bat, this is not sounding like a good situation for Alan. First and foremost, the ship itself has a bad reputation, hence the nickname Devil Dog, I suppose. I mean, (laughs) hello. Hello. But the Blue Wood was known for being disorderly, rough, and wild. Its crew members often instigated fights, not only with other people on board their own vessel, but also other sailors from other ships. It also makes you wonder why this poor kid (laughs) had to be sent there. Yeah. But ever the good son, Alan still kept in touch with his mother, calling her about once a week. And uh, she tells us that though he never went into detail, Alan did express that he was unhappy living aboard that ship. She said he just seemed different. He said he wasn't as happy, but maybe he just didn't want to burden her with the details. And he didn't want to worry her, I'm sure. Oh, exactly. Because there's nothing she can do. So why make her worry? So that brings us back to the beginning of the episode. George H.W., Throwing up in the prime minister's lap, the blue wood docked in Sasebo, Japan, and its sailors on break for a couple of days. Just a little reprieve from the ship. Yeah. An opportunity to put on civilian clothing and go out and blow off some steam or whatever. Blow off some steam is right. <laughs> yeah. The actual date is October 27th of 1992. Alan had been aboard the ship for 10 months at that time, and he was also 22 years old. Only 22 years old. God, I'd he's like a baby. He made his weekly call home to Dorothy to share with her some air quotes good news. And I say air quotes because we'll find out later. This is news that sounds good, but it's not happening for the best reason, right? Alan told his mother that he would be leaving the Navy and that he would be home by Christmas. Now, Dorothy, of course, found this odd because she knew that his enlistment time shouldn't be up yet, but Alan didn't go into any details and she didn't push him for any further information. They spoke for about eight to nine minutes, Dorothy said, 
just about how excited her son was to come home and be with the family and and be there for the holiday and all that just like beautiful stuff yeah he's such a good son they have such a good relationship it's so warm and fuzzy it is warm and fuzzy (sighs) before saying goodbye for what would unfortunately be the last time time. then the next day that would be october 28th of 92 dorothy was at her home in chicago when there was a knock at the door opening that door dorothy was horrified to be greeted by a sailor because as a former navy child And a former Navy wife, she knows that this could only be bad news. The man tells Dorothy that Alan was dead. That was it. Just that he was dead. He provided no further details regarding the death, and he would not answer this poor woman's questions. He simply said that there would be more answers to come in the future, and he left a card with a phone number on it saying that she should call that number if she had any further questions. You know, if, if she had yeah. any further right? questions. No, what, ha- I mean, what happened to my son? Of course she had more questions, you, you fucking asshat. <laughs> Jesus. So for three solid days, Dorothy calls this number repeatedly and she gets no answer. And then finally, she's able to get in touch with a high-ranking officer who explains to her that Alan had gotten into a fist fight with two fellow sailors and died as a result of his injuries. The officer gave no further details other than the fact that the men responsible had been arrested. So, I mean... At least there's that. At least there's that. She can take a little bit of comfort in that, but she... Still not feeling pretty good about not this. Not feeling good about the situation, and yeah, it's, it's only going to get worse from Yeah, her. she's not getting much out of this. Yeah. I mean... Despite the fact that Alan's family wasn't getting answers regarding his death, the Navy had actually issued a press release the day after the incident. But of course, this was a press release in Japan. Right. So nobody, and and this is in 92. So, I mean, nobody in Chicago has access to that. Nobody is going to see that. Yeah. It was a vague write-up stating that the man had died of, quote, a beating death with no known racial or drug overtones. A beating death. A beating death with no known racial or drug overtones. What the fuck does that even mean? Right? Like, Like, I mean, I, I get what they mean, but it's just really worded. Terribly. Terribly. Ridiculously. (laughs) Not good. The release goes largely unnoticed, but does catch the eye of one man. Rick Rogers is a gentleman who works at the independent military newspaper called Stars and Stripes. And no, I'm not making that up. That's the actual name. (laughs) It really is. Stars and Stripes. This guy's pretty cool. He is very cool. He does a lot of things that I really jive with. I applaud. Yeah, that I really applaud. Rick said that he immediately took interest in this because a sailor being killed on a naval base was extremely unusual, and he knew that there had to be more to this story. So Rick also starts asking questions, mostly the hows and whys, which seem to be the exact answers that the people aboard the Baloo Wood don't want to give answers to. Right? You're covering something up. Covering something up. So back in Chicago, Mom Dorothy is confused. She's grieving. She's waiting for her son's body to make it home from the other side of the world. You know what's going on. She's like, okay, what's happening? Where's my son? When am I going to get him? When am I going to get answers? When can I lay him to rest? Nobody cares. Yeah. Yeah. So during that 10-day wait, and yes, 10 days this poor woman waited and, and suffered, every time the phone rang, she said she prayed that it would be Alan calling her to tell her that it was all a mistake, it was a big misunderstanding, and that he was fine. I mean, Which, wouldn't you have that feeling if you didn't have a body yet? You know what I mean? Yeah. You just didn't have any, like, it's like, it's not real. It's so yet. gut. And, and just to hear her say it. So sad. Was gut-wrenching. Absolutely. It was terrible. Horrible. So then on November 7th of 1992, 
Alan Schindler's remains arrived to his family's local funeral home in a casket with specific instructions for it not to be opened. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. But Dorothy was having none of that. She, yeah, was, uh-huh. she was not like, fucking with that. Son. Exactly. She was not fucking with that. And she said that she just wanted to hug him and kiss him Absolutely. and say goodbye. And, and you should be able to. You should be able to do that. I applaud you. Yeah. I applaud you. You should be able to do that. So they opened the casket and they were horrified by what they saw. Alan's head had been completely smashed in, and the man actually had a shoe print embedded in what little remained of his face. Immediately, Dorothy knew that her son had not died from a fistfight gone wrong, that her son had in fact been murdered, and she vowed to get answers. Yes, Mama Bear. Yes, Mama Bear. Speaking of answers, it's at this part of the docuseries that we as the audience start to get them, but... Keep in mind that this information is still being investigated by Mom Dorothy and reporter Rick. We find out that back on the night in question, that's October 27th of 92, a sailor by the name of Jonathan Witte walks into the Naval Investigation Service's office covered in blood to report that he had been witness to a terrible crime. Jonathan, like many other crew members on the Bluewood, had taken advantage of their last night of leave or their last night off and left the ship to go to a place called Sailor Town. Now, Sailor Town is an area of Sasebo consisting of what Jonathan described as one street and a few alleyways packed with bars and just kind of other forms of entertainment, primarily catering to naval personnel who docked nearby. As a matter of fact, essentially, the only thing that separated the dock from Sailor Town was like a small public park with like a public restroom. It seemed to be just that easy of a walk. Basically what it is. Yeah. And you really had to like walk through this park, the way that they made it seem at least. You had to walk through this park to get from one place or the other. Like if you're going to the ship, vice versa. So it was around 11 p.m. that Jonathan was walking through the park back to the ship when he decided that he needed to use the public restroom. So he began to approach the restroom, but he was stopped when he heard some strange noises coming from inside. So instead of going in, he kind of gets a little bit closer and he peers through these windows. And it's those like really heavy, like blocked glass windows. Yeah, they're like frosted almost. Frosted, where you can like you can see images or not images. You can see kind of like the outside. The outline. outline. You can see outline. Blurred lines. Exactly. You can see blurred lines. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you can see figures. I think that's the the term. You can see figures, but you can't make out like specific details. Exactly. Plus the lighting was poor. I mean, yeah, it's nighttime. So it's nighttime. Exactly. So he kind of is looking and he can see enough to be shocked by what was taking place. There were three men, one of whom was guarding the door the second of which was lying motionless on the floor, while the third is jumping with the full weight of his body and stomping this poor man that's on the floor with both of his feet. And that you can make out. Like, you can tell what that is. Jonathan said that he could also hear the awful sound of blood gurgling as the victim attempted to breathe. Oh, God, it hurts. He was scared. He was horrified. So he ran quickly to get help and brought the shore patrol back to the restroom. Now, this happened pretty quickly, but not quickly enough to catch the perpetrators in the act. Mm. And tragically, not in enough time to save this poor victim's life. Jonathan and the responding officers attempted resuscitation, but were unsuccessful in those efforts because, frankly, 
This guy didn't even have a functioning mouth for them to provide, like, rescue breaths into. Yeah, he was, like, completely smashed up. It wasn't until that time, like, they're attempting this resuscitation, it wasn't until that time that Jonathan saw the USS Midway tattoo on the victim's arm and then finally recognized the person as his shipmate, Alan Schindler, because I think he said, actually, in the interview that... This person was completely unrecognizable. Yeah, that's the yeah. only way he could tell. Yeah. <sighs> it's just, it's sad. It's really rough. All right. And reporting all of this to the NIS, Jonathan is able to give a basic description of the assailants. Because like we said before, it was dark. He couldn't actually see them, but he could give a few details. He knew that they were Caucasian men. He estimated them to be in their 20s. He said that they were wearing civilian clothing but he did believe that they were probably sailors. Uh-huh. Jonathan Witte does his due diligence. He reports the crime. He was actually questioned as a suspect himself for a long period of time, et cetera, et cetera. So he's had a really shitty night. I would say. And he's still covered in blood because he got really bloody attempting to resuscitate this person that he didn't even know was his friend yeah, at the time. Which is, oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. But rather than being able to go back to his quarters, clean himself up, et cetera, et cetera, he's ordered to immediately report to the ship's executive officer. When he arrives, the ship's captain is actually also in attendance. And what is it they want, you might ask? Well, first of all, they want him to tell the full story of what he witnessed, what he saw, what happened. And second, they basically threaten him and order him to keep the entire situation a complete secret. Yeah, or else... We wouldn't want what happened to him to happen to, happen to, you. to you. Are you fucking kidding me? And th- if that's not a threat, oh, I don't know a, what is. No, I was baffled to hear those words. And yeah. I also thought it was a little bit weird that, it's not weird, but like I didn't like that he was the only one of the shipmates that actually was on this show and commented. I mean, it makes sense because he witnessed this. Yes. But I'm just shocked that like no other sailors like wanted to even comment and i'm sure they reached out to them you know yeah. wanted to talk about it but i guess it's because they're like don't involve me i'd very exactly. much not, like to not be involved in this yeah what's that taylor swift <laughs> i'd very much like to be excluded from this that's narrative. it that, that, <laughs> that's it thank you yeah <laughs> thank you you're welcome okay so we as the audience know this but just as a reminder mom dorothy and reporter rick they don't know this information yet they're still actively seeking answers and information separately from one another at this point i might add yeah So as Rick starts digging more into the case, he finds that two unnamed men have been arrested in connection with the murder of Alan Schindler, but they haven't been formally charged yet. And so he doesn't know who they are. He doesn't have their identities. He only has the identity of the victim. So, of course, he begins to look into Alan's background to see if that leads to any information about why he was potentially killed, why he was murdered. What was the motive? What was the motive? It's not the new millennium. (laughs) (laughs) He comes across information about Alan having been involved in an Article 32 hearing, a.k.a. a court-martial hearing. So that's maybe why Alan had spoken to his mother and said, hey, I think I'm going to be home soon. I'll probably be home by Christmas because he was facing a potential court-martial. Yeah, discharge. And he knew something was about to happen. He knew something was going down. In addition to that, the Stars and Stripes paper receives a letter from people identifying themselves as non-military personnel who were friends of Allen's, and that they were concerned that the U.S. military was trying to cover up the real reason that this man was so brutally murdered. 
suggesting that the attack was a hate crime, a, quote, gay bashing. But authorities were trying to sweep it under the rug as just a difference of opinion between A difference of opinion. That is what they said. Thank you. I was trying Mm -hmm. to remember what, like, dumb, small thing they made it. Yeah. (laughs) Like, oh, we're just going to brush that right off. Let's just go ahead and give it up. Yeah, there you go. Good call. For sure. Yeah. I got him out today. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. We haven't forgotten about him. We haven't forgotten about our our third host. Yeah. (laughs) The good old bullshit button. So this letter seems to corroborate the information contained within the Article 32 against Allen, because at that time, it was grounds for discharge from the Navy or the military in general if you were a sailor who was found to be a homosexual. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, by that time, Bill Clinton had won the presidential race against George H.W. and had promised to lift the ban against gay people in the military during his campaign. So that was one of the promises that he made. Yes, it was, but, you know. So put a pin in that. (laughs) We're going to circle back around to it. We will. Before moving forward with this information and publishing his article, this is one of the things we were talking about earlier, that I was talking about at least, reporter Rick does the absolute correct thing, the most thoughtful, admirable thing, in my opinion. He reaches out to Alan's mother and delicately broaches the subject of whether or not her son was, in fact, gay. Because he doesn't want to publish this information, A, if it's something that his family didn't know about him, and B, if it's potentially not true. Absolutely. He was yeah. doing the right thing. He, That's what real reporters should do. Yeah, he absolutely know did the right Know your research. Thing. Do your research anyway. Yeah. Dorothy informs Rick that she had no knowledge of her son being a homosexual and, frankly, didn't believe it because... and. Bless her sweet little heart. She was like, well, Alan had girlfriends and he Mm -hmm. even went to the prom. (laughs) Yeah, he even went to the prom with a girl. Yes. Oh, honey, didn't we all? Oh, right. (laughs) Didn't we all? Most of my male dates at prom were prettier than I was. (laughs) I mean, I respect it. I also had to question that just a tad bit because I don't know if you noticed it or you saw. So I would assume, and, and maybe this is just me assuming, which is incorrect. We should never really assume. But I would assume that before this conversation took place, they had already had his funeral, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you think? Yeah, I would think so. There was a pride flag hanging up during the ceremony at his funeral. Maybe she's just a little bit sheltered and didn't really know what that meant. I don't know. Maybe she thought it was a military thing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, she did. Yeah. And I mean, I would kind of buy it because she was such a sweet woman, such a good mother. Yeah. So loving. But I mean, I could see where a little naivety. There was a little bit bit of naivete. Yeah. She's uh, just so kind that I feel like, I mean, I don't want to be judgy, but I do feel like if you're that nice and that kind that like there is a little bit of naiveness there because the world hasn't like hollowed you out yet like the rest of us. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So another reminder up to this point, Rick Rogers and Dorothy seem to be the only people interested in reporting this story or finding out what actually happened to Alan. That is until Rick publishes his article titled slain blue wood sailor was a homosexual. And then it blew. And then boom. Yes, ma'am, like dynamite. After the death of Alan Schindler gained international attention, including some high-ranking folks in U.S. politics, the Navy came out with information regarding the perpetrators. According to them, a 20-year-old sailor by the name of Charles A. Vins had acted as the lookout for the man who had actually committed the murder. That garbage monster was a 22-year-old man by the name of Terry M. 
Helvey, H-E-L-V-E-Y, if anybody wants to. He's a real garbage monster. He's a real garbage monster. He really is. This guy really sucks. Yeah. Charles Vins made a deal to act as witness to the crime and testify against Terry Helvey for a reduced sentence of one year in prison and a dishonorable discharge from the Navy. And he ended up serving, what, a fraction of that time. Let's just go ahead and give it another one. Completely. I mean, he did. It did seem like they had said things like how it was really hard for him to watch that and like blah, blah, blah. He just turned his back. But at the end of the day, you didn't do anything to stop it. No. So what the hell? Plus, we have a little bit more information about that later from the other party that was involved. And he had something to say about that. A little something to say a about that something. as well. All right. So it was at that point that a gay rights activist by the name of Michael Petrellis became involved. <laughs> and love I, this guy. I loved this guy. Honey, <laughs> so she's, great. Honey, she said, I was reading an article about it. I did not believe that the Navy was capable of conducting an impartial investigation into the death of a gay sailor. So I immediately called the Pentagon. <laughs> yes. I was like, Mike is getting shit That's done. That's right. Yeah, I loved it. And apparently after Mike made his calls to the Pentagon, he reached out to Mom Dorothy to offer his assistance as a gay activist and advocate. Which is amazing. It was just... Love this little team together. Absolutely. This was... This never should have happened. Right. This never should have happened. And this story will haunt me for the rest of my life. But the things that happened as a result of this Mm -hmm. were pretty inspiring. Yeah, it definitely makes you have a little bit of like warm and fuzzies and feel goods about how they were... How these people particularly were were treating it. Yeah. However, Dorothy was hesitant to take him up on the offer for assistance because she still wasn't convinced that her son was gay. So as she's pondering this serendipitously, Dorothy receives Alan's journal in the mail with his personal effects. With it, she was able to see in her son's own words the man that he truly was, and also, unfortunately, to learn of the abuse that he had been enduring while aboard the Baloo Wood. He was being taunted, harassed, and threatened by fellow sailors for being gay. As a result of this, Alan began requesting to meet the ship's captain to report the incidents, to request reassignment to another vessel, to request just to be discharged from the Navy altogether. But these requests by the ship's captain were all denied. Wouldn't even meet with him. Obviously. To talk about it. I hate to say, like, I'm not shocked but I'm not, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just not surprising. Yeah. Knowing what we know, at least in, at this point with everything that's happened in certain bases all over the world, really, yeah. it's not surprising. It's but not. Just like, nah, it's not a problem. You're fine. Mm-hmm. Man up. I'm absolutely certain that is how that went down. Nobody likes a snitch. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Snitches get stitches. Disgusting. Yeah, it's just yeah, we've been watching. We've been watching 60 Days In a lot lately, and <laughs> that's... A total saying. They do say that all the time. Do they really? Stitches. The people that are like contestants, right? I don't think the people actually in prison say shit like that. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So all of this culminated into basically Alan reaching his breaking point on, what date was it? It was September 23rd of 1992, and he just decided to take matters into his own hands. So one month before his murder, en route from Hawaii to Japan, Alan was working as a radio man on the ship. That was his job. That's what he did. Working as a radio man on the ship, he took to the radio and sent out an unauthorized transmission on a secure fleet-wide channel. 
The transmission read, quote, 2QT2BSR8. So translation for maybe those who didn't catch all that, too cute to be straight. Right. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> Clever. Uh, further translation for those who might not get the impact of what he was doing here. He's literally choosing to out himself so that he can be discharged from the Navy rather than continue to live in this miserable situation. He's like a dishonorable discharge on my record is better than being here. Is better than being here. Which is really sad. That's really sad. It's terrible. Because he loved what he was doing before and then was moved and ignored and battered and treated like garbage. And it's their fucking fault. It was. And he took so much pride in what he did up until what he was doing sure was making was a, him miserable. Yeah, he was a great sailor. Like, you're losing a great sailor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Someone who signed up to protect this country mm-hmm. and all of those things yeah. serve our country. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, you gotta go. A person who was doing it for all the right reasons. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. Okay, so as a result of this, Alan was ordered to participate in a proceeding called a captain's mast, which is actually a disciplinary like sort of function or disciplinary meeting with the ship's captain or admirable. Now, Alan requested that this be a closed meeting for confidential reasons, but of course, the captain disregarded that request and, oh, two to three hundred of his fellow sailors attended this meeting. Translation again, because I like to repeat myself. (laughs) Translation again, anyone who didn't already know that he was gay and wasn't already harassing him because of it now knew was like they were invited in to like it's like he did exactly the opposite of what he wanted just so he'd be outed more exactly so now enter terry helvey terry was known throughout the ship to his peers and to his superiors as a hothead who had a particular dislike for homosexuals the fact that alan was not only gay but also outranked him as an officer seemed to just worsen the situation of course it does right toxic fragile masculinity yeah exactly right (laughs) Alan reported multiple incidents of harassment and also physical violence from Terry Helvey to their executive officer, who in turn does what? Nothing. Not a damn thing. Yeah. Because why would you, right? Yeah. Now out to all the staff aboard the ship, including the captain, Alan Schindler contacts a Navy lawyer to begin discharge proceedings on the grounds that he is admittedly a homosexual. Cut back to February 9th of 1993. Terry is finally formally arraigned on charges of the first-degree murder of Alan Schindler. If convicted, he could actually face the death penalty. Those close to the case, however, were concerned that another plea deal might keep Terry from receiving the appropriate punishment for the crime because they had already made a plea deal with Charles Benz, and he didn't even serve a year. Yeah. I would be nervous, too. Like, I would be hella nervous. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there actually was a plea deal. But... Not a bad one. This one was kind of appropriate. And even before agreeing to it, the Navy actually contacted Dorothy to see if she had any concerns regarding it. The deal was to take the death penalty off of the table, and Dorothy agreed. And you're going to say why she agreed? Yeah. She stated that she didn't want to make his mother lose her son and have her hurt as much as Dorothy had been hurting over the loss of Alan. I couldn't handle that. I just, that's just... Oh, there's not even a word for that. It takes such a strong, selfless person. Yes, absolutely. Because I am not that person. I'm not the one. I do not think I'd have made the same decision (laughs) under those circumstances. 
I've been like, can we make a plea deal so that someone stomps him to death? That's what I'm saying. Is that yeah. is that in the books? Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> so Terry pleads guilty to a lesser charge of murder with intent to cause bodily harm, which the wording sounded strange to me. So maybe that just means intent to cause bodily harm. Like he intentionally caused bodily harm, but yeah. that resulted in death. Yeah, I think which it was, was not like, his intention. He basically they're saying like he intended just to like beat the living crap out of him, but it ended up in murder. Yeah. It was an accident, yeah. essentially. Like involuntary manslaughter, but not even that good of a charge. Yeah. And I say good meaning like that would be better than what he got, you uh, yeah, know. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so as part of the plea agreement, Terry has to come clean about all the details of what occurred on the night of Alan's death. So he's going to fill in some of the gaps for us. Because at this point, we just don't know. We don't know everything that happened. We know enough, but we don't know everything that happened. So he admits that he and the accomplice Charles Vins had been drinking in the park when they spotted Alan walking back to the ship from Sailortown. Alan walked into the restroom to relieve himself, and the two men followed him inside. Terry goes in, found Alan using a urinal, approached the man, and quickly punched him in the nose, which knocked Alan to the ground, which is just a sucker punch, man. Absolutely it is. He wasn't expecting you. Yeah. Pretty sure he was probably, like, at a urinal, too. Yeah, and he, well, he was. Yeah, he was at a urinal. And yeah, he, you he, caught him with his pants down and even, like, he doesn't even have his hands up. Like, what? And he's probably drunk. He's probably a little intoxicated. This Enjoying is literally his last the night ultimate out. sucker punch. Yeah, what a fucking dickbag. So Charles Vins, who claimed to have been just a, a watcher, right? Yeah. A looky-loo in the situation. A looky-loo. He actually attempts to join into the bashing by kicking Alan in the head. So the second blow yeah. came from Vins as a kick to the head. But Terry quickly tells him to back off because he wants Alan all to himself. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes. Terry then begins stomping Alan's head with the full weight of his six-foot Four inch, two hundred and forty pound body. Two hundred and forty pounds. Mm -hmm. Started at his head and worked his way all the way down. And this is Alan's like body. straight up like pogoing mm -hmm. on this guy. Like this isn't just like taking one. Like any of it would be better, but it really is like just his whole body weight just jumping up and yeah. down. And Alan Schindler was six foot one, one hundred and eighty pounds. By the way, mm -mm. yeah. So smaller framed person. Still a big boy, but this boy's much bigger. Much bigger, exactly. The pathologist who performed the autopsy on Alan said his wounds were worse than those of someone who had been trampled by a horse. His organs were mush. His face was pulp. There were actually sneaker tread marks in his forehead and on his chest. He compared the damage Alan's body sustained to that of a victim of a high-speed car crash. Yeah, that's the one that got me. I'm like, wow, an actual other person did that to you. Like something that a car would do to you. Yes. Ugh. Terry was also very clear about his motive for attacking Alan, saying, quote, I believe homosexuality is disgusting, sick, and scary, end quote. He basically said that he was afraid of and felt threatened by Alan because he was gay. So he literally chose to stomp the life out of him. Mm -hmm. Which makes total sense, right? Yeah. Absolutely. On May 27th of 1993, Terry Helvey is sentenced to life in prison and he's dishonorably discharged from the U.S. Navy, which made Mama Dorothy feel like she had gotten justice for her son. Totally. In the wake of the trial, President Bill Clinton signs a controversial military service bill, a bill which did not 
make good on his campaign promises to protect the rights of queer people to serve in the military, but rather what he thought was a healthy compromise for those who would oppose oppose such a thing. Mm. Don't ask, don't tell, in fact, did very little to benefit any queer people in the military. No, it it helped nothing. It helped nothing, and it would not have done anything at all to protect Alan Schindler had it been around while he was still alive. No, it wouldn't. Mm -mm. In closing, though, on a brighter note, if anything bright can be taken away from this tragic story, over the next few years, Dorothy became a champion and advocate for gay rights. And then additionally, after 23 years, so 23 years after his death, the full investigation into the full investigative report, I guess I should say, surrounding Alan's death was released to the public. In it, the U.S. military admitted that Alan Schindler was in fact in danger and that they did nothing as an organization to keep him safe. I mean, at least you admitted it. Yeah which has ultimately led to much-needed changes and implementation of protections for gay, queer people in the military. Which is a good—that's a positive. It is a positive. positive. It is a positive. Long time coming, but it happened. And it's tragic and sad that anyone had to suffer injustices, but even more so that this poor man— literally had to have the life stomped out of him before somebody. And then 23 years later, somebody finally goes, hey, we should do something about this. Yeah, this is a problem. This is a problem. It shouldn't keep happening. Yeah. So bullshit. Absolute bullshit. All right. That's all I got. Let's take a quick break because you've got some stuff for us. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little little snippet of research. Yeah. All right. Some updates, maybe some a little bit of an update. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's take a quick break. We'll come right back. We'll be back. And we're back. We are back again. Again. And I just have an article from 1994. Actually, it's August 29th, 1994. And it's from the Chicago Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Tribune. And it's it's kind of this. They did this series of like interviews with uh, killers. And this is an interview with none other than Mr. Terry Helvey. So we get to learn how much more of an asshole he really is. See, it really hasn't changed. I'm no. just spoiler alert right now. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. But I, I came across this article and I read it and I was like, I'm just going to read part of this because it just, I don't know, it's just mind blowing to me that people can be like this. So in any case. Well, full disclosure, I read this too. Did you? Yeah, I read this too. So I know it's about to happen. Uh-huh. And I want to preface with the fact that the this is why I didn't include it. In my recap of the episode, they say that at the end or at the end of the episode, they say that he apologized to the Navy and he apologized to Alan's mother for what he had done. I didn't include that because of this article. So yeah. please, yes, please continue. <laughs> because it's not, it's all bullshit, right? Like, yeah. even if you did include it, like, why? He was trying to get uh, brownie points from like brownie the media. Brownie points or like a better deal. Or, Absolutely. It you was know, all pretend. Exactly. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Sorry. You're not sorry that you did it. You're sorry you got caught and now you're backpedaling. So this says, Terry Helvey is 22. His skin is so baby smooth, he looks as if he doesn't shave. He can barely grow a mustache. His brown hair is short and a lock falls f- across his forehead. He's wearing prison-issued brown pants and brown shirt. He's six foot four, 220 pounds, down from his Navy weight of 240. He's a bodybuilder and he says he hasn't lost any muscle. He just exercises differently and is, quote, more efficient. Which I'm just like, it's not really pertinent information. You just already see his fucking attitude. Yeah, I'm in prison, but I'm still in great shape. (laughs) (laughs) He sits with his legs wide apart, full of macho attitude. Life in prison is, quote, not so bad. 
He has a nice little setup, a better gym and grub than most people and fewer worries. No bills, no taxes. But as he talks, he pulls out his eyelashes. His little brown eyes now look raw. He says he feels old. He says, quote, I feel like I've or like I've been around a long time. He also says, I don't consider myself a killer. I consider myself someone who got caught in a bad situation. <laughs> of course you do, right? Mm-hmm. Of course you do. Yeah. So he also says, we were just doing the Navy thing. He says, we were drinking and fighting. It happened so many times, I can't count them. That's all we ever did was drink and fight. I was having fun, and this dude ended up dying. You were having fun. You were having fun. Stomping the life you, out I'm of... sure that was probably the most fun you've ever had, you probably, fucking psycho. Yeah. But what I love is how this article is written. It says, in Air Bunny quotes, this dude, Alan Schindler, was 22 years old, liked to draw, collect comic books, and play with animals. He was a handsome, blonde young man, six foot one, 180 pounds. While Helvey was awaiting trial, it was rumored that the two had been lovers. Yeah. And I buy that. I, I really that. do. I completely buy that because it takes some real, like, rage. Real anger. Anger and, like, passion to do what he did. I think that he was motivated by potentially being outed himself. Yeah, because he, like, here, Alan was coming out and... Yeah. Then comes the question of like, well, did you like sleep with anyone on the ship? And he said he was doing the Navy thing. That's yeah. the Navy thing, right? <laughs> Four ter- men, a bunch of seamen on a yeah. boat. <laughs> the term barrel boy comes from somewhere, I honey. I mean, it's true. <laughs> he says, I thought I was going to die, says Helvey. Having people think he was gay was worse than facing a possible death sentence. He says, to tell you the truth, that was the straw that crushed me. And when I got torn apart, it's not like a normal person. You're not talking about a bomb ready to explode. You're talking about an explosion happening, which doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But they're saying that he's like talking about rage, like the rage that he feels inside of him. But he's a little ass backwards, right? I think he's trying to sound intelligent or poetic, but he doesn't have the ability to do so. He's not. He's like the kind of prisoner that like writes poetry that's like ice burns just as hot as fire. (laughs) 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 Oh, shit. Okay. So. So by the time of his death, Alan Schindler had accepted his sexuality. He had just told the ship's lawyer he was gay, but it was already well known on the USS Bellewood, which was the home to Schindler and more than 900 other sailors, which kind of was baffling to me. I didn't know there was that many. I think they said, or I read somewhere, 950. Jeez, that's so many people. I feel claustrophobic just thinking about Honestly, it. Honestly, because I know it's not that large of a ship. It's not a yacht. Like, what's happening? It was common knowledge. I mean, I guess it's not that comfortable, I should say. Probably yeah. overpacked, you know, tiny quarters. I couldn't yeah. do it. Quote, it was common knowledge, says Helvey. He had worked with Schindler and considered him a smart aleck. He didn't like him and he didn't like any gays. I was big time against them, says Helvey with a wide grin. That's what was bred into you as soon as you got to boot camp. It was banged into your head. The Navy and gays are not compatible. It's like a big joke. Throw them off the ship. That's not a joke. That's not a joke. That's maybe a joke that you make, but that's really not a joke. It's not a joke. The night of October 27th, Helvey says he and Vin's friends and workout partner saw Schindler enter the bathroom and followed him. Helvey said it was inevitable that something would happen. He said, we walked in there and went up to him. I was mean. I hate to think of myself that way, but it's true. He looked at us. He knew it would be a fight. He started to throw a punch. And as much as I enjoy fighting, I hate getting hit. So I hit him. So he's like basically saying, we saw him go into the bathroom. We came in behind him. He's at the bathroom like urinal, right? 
and you're saying to me that he took one of his hands and tried to punch you in the face for coming in there. I don't buy that no, for a second. Where I don't did how all. did that how? Show me how that even happens. Plus, I mean, let's be really, really honest here. This healthy guy was much larger than so it, he wasn't going to swing on him anyway. Exactly, exactly. That's my point. Exactly. Helvey had had waived his rights in a four-page statement and said, homosexuality is disgusting, sick and scary, and I hate homosexuals. The agent suggested he express some remorse, so Helvey wrote, I regret this incident happened, and I feel like it could be have been averted had homosexuals not been allowed in the military. That was his his remorse. That, that he was, was his giving. remorse. Yeah. Fuck that you guy. You should so show some remorse. Be a little bit of a human. Okay, well, I regret that this happened, and it wouldn't have happened if, like, Gays weren't allowed in the military. It's your fault, not mine. Basically, yeah. That's what God I get. forbid he accept any ownership of anything that he's done wrong, up to and including stomping the life out of an innocent person. And a lot of this, I mean, I kind of just want to leave it there. But like, you know, a lot of this is just him saying things like about how he can fight. It's all I can do. He says my brain is good, but all I've ever used it for is as a st- strategic shell. I'd rather have business sense. I'd rather want to work on a computer than throw it, but that's me. But like, he's basically saying like, I wish that I was like normal, but like, I'm just an aggressive guy and I don't know how to not be this way. But at the end of the day, he just kind of goes on and on about how he's like the strongest one ever since boot camp. I was the strongest one. I was a master of arms, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's not what we're here for. You're still like two years later sitting. He says that he was afraid of, you know, the F words. Yeah. And that's why he wanted to kill them. And I'm just like, so. If this man gets out, he's just going to go around killing a bunch of F-words. That's essentially what I get from yeah. this. If Do you agree? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I absolutely do agree. I was pleased, though, and maybe it exists and I just didn't come across it in my research somewhere. I was pleased, though, that I didn't see that he was going to have a possibility for parole exactly. ever. So, I, yeah, I'm very happy about that. Which is probably why he feels so comfortable now in these interviews, which this isn't even now. I, I couldn't find anything more recently because like people probably just don't care about like why give him more press anyways. No, I I agree. Don't give this piece of trash uh, more press. But like we said before, people should know Alan Schindler's name and his story. His story should be way more out there. I agree. For sure. So, yeah. So, folks, tell this story. Share this episode. Say this person's name. Get the name out there. It's a name that should be recognized for sure. Yeah. I mean, and there are many, 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 many other names as well. But I was disappointed in myself that I didn't know this man and his story prior to this. Yeah. Oh, I also wanted to throw out there that uh, I looked up when Don't don't Ask, Don't Tell was eliminated. I mean, I remember it, but like Mm -hmm. there could be people out there that don't or don't know. And that was when President... Barack Obama was in office. Yes, ma'am. And so it started February 28th, 1994 and ended September 20th, 2011. Yeah, it affected a lot of people and not in good ways. I had friends in the military that it definitely and it mentally, physically, everything, it just messes with you. It's not good. Well, I had a friend who was dishonorably discharged from the military because she was found to be a lesbian. That's right. You have told me that. Yeah. And And I'm not surprised. I mean, it does like it really does happen. It's not it did happen, I should say. It's not just something that we made up. Mm -hmm. No, it's a real thing. Yeah, it is a real thing. Well, thank you for that. Nick, thank you for that. You told the story so well. And thank you to the other Ashley for recommending it. Like I said, we had it on a a list of to do's Uh and we had it on the list because we knew that it was a queer story. 
Yeah. And even when she suggested it to me, I couldn't, which I'm embarrassed by now. I couldn't like place the story mm-hmm. to like the name. You know what I mean? Like I knew yeah. I had watched it, but I was like, okay, I'll rewatch. And then when I started to watch it again, I was yeah. like, oh yeah, it's this story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Thanks for the wreck. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that brings us to the end and I think we've already said it, but if you are going to go and watch the episode, it's, it's a lot sadder and more gut-wrenching. Yeah, grab some than, tissues, maybe some red wine. <laughs> yeah, his his mom really just pulls at your heartstrings. It, she does. And she's such a sweetheart. You just want to like reach through the television and hug her. Well, in all the photos they show of him, he's just one of those people that just had kind eyes. And yes. I never I never describe anybody that no, way. No, he does. And he's handsome too. Like yeah. he's very good looking, but he also looks like someone that is approachable. Like, you yeah. know, he's a big guy, a big good looking guy, but he just looks like someone that like everybody would be friends with. Like there's no reason to dislike this man, you know? So if you are going to watch, be prepared to cry. Be prepared to cry. Yes. I cried a few times. I did as well. So yeah. Thank you folks for listening. Thank you for being a friend. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) That's always. If you enjoyed it, please give us good rates and reviews on whatever application you are listening on. If you have that option. And if you want to shout us out or reach us, contact us, follow us, like us, subscribe to us. <laughs> there are so many places they can do that, Ashley. Where? Where? Just where? <laughs> Slate Queens Pod on Instagram, Twitter. Obviously our Patreon. This episode's going on there. So if you're here, then you know that. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We also have SlateQueensPod at gmail.com. If you feel like sending an email, maybe a story, maybe an idea for a story something of the like we clearly take recommendations this was one of them i love a good recommendation i do too too. they're my favorite especially when because it means i don't have to make the decision on what to cover yeah (laughs) we're not good on making decisions i don't like decision making i do all right and uh there's just that one last thing oh one other thing the most important thing yeah that you should uh go out and slay queens just not not each other not each other and not your navy partner your, your shipmate. Shipmate. There we Not go. Not your Navy shipmate. <laughs> no shipmates. Nobody with kind eyes. Yeah. Be oh, nice. All right. Be kind. <laughs> Bye, Bye. I'm going away, but I won't come back on a lonesome railroad line. But I can't forget that sweet little girl who sleeps in the pines and the pines.